Okay, friends, the story begins. We are beginning a new chapter, figuratively. We've concluded the Amida. And now we move on to page 54, the center of the page. Vidui and Tachnun, which is the confessional prayers. Prayers where we ask for forgiveness, forgiveness for our sins, forgiveness for our wrongdoings. Judaism does believe in confession. We don't confess to people. We confess to God. Um, important to note, confessing when sinning is actually a biblical commandment. It's part of the sitter. It's part of the prayer service. But it doesn't have to be limited to the prayer service. Um, it should be done anytime we sin. Anytime we're aware that we've sinned, we've done something wrong, we confess. We confess to God. The sages created a text, a text to verbalize those confessions, and they've put those um, confessions in sequences of the Aleph bed, right? Ashamnu, Bagannu, Gazanu, if you notice that it follows the Aleph bed. The tradition of confessing specifically during the prayer service is... An old tradition, how far back does it go? It's unclear. It's actually interesting because not actually it, not all sitters have the daily confession. Everybody agrees you confess on Yom Kippur, you confess on certain days, some Mondays and Thursdays. The tradition of confessing daily, as you see in the Chabad sitter, and as you'll see in Sephardic sitters, as you'll see on other siddurim that have um, roots in Kabbalistic uh, teaching, you don't see that in other siddurim. If you look at a classical Ashkenaz siddur, an art scroll siddur, you might not see the confession as part of the daily service. You will see it as part of Yom Kippur service. It's more of a Kabbalistic tradition to confess daily, and it's it's rooted basically in the Zohar. But here's the question: Why confess? You probably sin daily. Well, I, I sin, but God knows I sin. I know I sin. Let's, you know, it's like, you know what I did wrong. I know what I did wrong. We both know. <laughs> Maybe because you don't want the pile of sins to get too big. Right. It, but but what is the but what are the mechanics? What are the mechanics of confession? What is it? What does it do? If God knows that I sinned, I shouldn't have to say it. If God needs me to say it, that's not the God I want to serve. If he's not really all knowing. <laughs> I don't know if that's the God I really want to participate in. So there's there's this kind of interesting catch-22 when it comes to confession. What is the benefit of confession? Confession. Of confessionism. Concession, no. What is the purpose in confession? What are your thoughts? Perhaps it's, uh, I'll call it an uplifting moment, meaning like you're, you're perhaps feeling despaired about having sinned, and after you go through uh, the confession, you, you you feel like you're un unburdening your okay, almost, almost like a venting, a help, almost like a structured venting type thing in, in a good way. You know, I, get it off your I, chest. I was gonna say I, was, I wouldn't be using venting, but... Not venting, but get it off your chest. Yeah. Type yeah. Thing. Okay, I like that. And in other words, it's a, a psychological benefit, right? Yeah. The Sefer Hachinuch, known as the Book of Education. It was authored about 800 years ago, anonymously. It's one of the, it's a commentary in the Torah. He explains every single mitzvah in the Torah in order. 
And he often takes the psychological approach to mitzvahs, um, as does Maimonides. He follows Maimonides very closely. And he actually takes that psychological approach, and he says something quite similar. He says that the purpose of confession is, if I don't admit that, that I did something wrong, it's very easy to go and do it again, because it's easy to forget about it. I didn't really, you know, you know did I do it? Did I, you know, like when you, you have a certain, sometimes you question your memories. You ever have that? Like it happened so long ago, did that really happen? Or did I make it up type of thing? Yeah. But if you articulate it, you verbalize it, it's concrete. I did this. You're owning up to it. And you're saying, just like I know about it, I'm reminding myself, God also knows about it. I have to repent. I can't fall back into those ways. I can't do it again. Right. It's it there's a it's almost like a psychological exercise bringing it um bringing it to our own awareness. That's what the Sefer Hachinuch says. He takes a very uh, a quite psychological um approach to it. It becomes concrete. It's not like you know, I'm I'm, I'm admitting taking responsibility. The Zohar has another explanation as to why we do confession. The Zohar says a little bit of a different approach. According to uh, Jewish law, there's certain situations where when somebody does something wrong, there's consequences, right? Sometimes the consequence will be like a citation. There's actually biblical citations. There's times in the Bible where you have to you have to pay money. I'll give you an example. You you may be familiar with this um, as it's discussed in Parshas Mishpatim. Somebody were to steal an item from somebody, right? You steal an item from somebody. You have an obligation to return double of what you stole. Familiar with that law? You steal one, you got to return two. You got to return the principal. You got to return what you took. And then you got to steal, return the second one. This is biblical law. And this is a citation. You don't technically owe it. It's a citation. It's a biblical citation. Right? It's a fine. If you came to court and said, I made this big mistake. I stole. I'm sorry. Just return the principal. You don't have to return the second one. You don't have to pay that citation because you've admitted. When you admit to the truth, you're exempt from that citation. When you've taken responsibility, you've removed the burden of consequence. You still have to pay the responsible amount, but you've removed the burden of consequences. The Zohar says when we confess to God, we're admitting we're coming to God, and that's much better than God coming to us. You know, we, I when we run our summer camp, I always tell our counselors at our staff orientation, if a child gets hurt, sometimes it's not a big deal to us, right? Little crybaby. <laughs> so to us, it's no big deal. The kid's just being a crybaby. But to the kid, it's a big deal. And when they go home and tell them their parents they had a horrible day because they skinned their knee and almost died from it. Um, <laughs> being a little facetious here. Um, right, that, that's, that's a big deal. It might not actually be a big deal, but it becomes a big deal. 
becomes a much bigger deal if the parents call me and I don't call them and let them know that this is what happened. <laughs> if the parents have to call me and ask what happened to my kid rather than me calling the parents and letting them know what happened to their kid, it could be an awkward conversation and it just doesn't look responsible. Right? It's just not a good way to earn trust with parents. Right? And, and as a camp director, and the truth is in any business, not that camp's a business, but in any operation, the key to success is earning trust with people. The Zilhar says, take responsibility. Admit it. You go to God. Don't wait for God to come to you. Right? Take responsibility. And you'll be exempt. You know where we see this in the Torah, by the way? The very first day of the creation of man, which we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah. Adam and Eve are told, don't eat from this fruit of knowledge. Don't eat from that tree. Don't do it. They did it. And God starts looking for Adam. <laughs> Adam thinks he could hide from God. Big mistake. If we do something wrong, and this is a valuable lesson in, in interpersonal relationships, in business relationships. If we mess up, don't try to kick it under the rug. It doesn't work. right? It comes back to bite us. The Zohar says, no, no, no. no. We got to confess. That's where confession comes in. It's us having the courage to come to God and say, I, I know I did something wrong and I'm willing to own up to it. I'm willing to confess. I'm willing to I'm, I'm willing to actually take responsibility. And what happens is when we take that approach, we exempt ourselves. We alleviate ourselves. Question. Yeah. So um is is that the case? all the time but, but and my question is based on um okay so, so let's say you 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 stole ten ten dollars from somebody and and you admit to it you give them their ten dollars back but but let's say that person needed that ten dollars for something and because he didn't have that ten dollars at that particular time there there was some additional cost to this person to accomplish whatever wouldn't you might be maybe you don't owe the 20 anymore but maybe you owe something to help that person recover the addition you know it, it, almost like uh it's no no longer a fine but you have to help this person that's, that's a, a good question a reparation of a kind good, good question in other words if, if somebody stole money from somebody and now they weren't able to pay their taxes i'm just giving an example yeah and now they were fined and now you just return that amount that you stole but you technically cost them more money exactly so you might actually have to pay more money but it wouldn't be a fine it wouldn't it wouldn't be classified as a fine it would be classified as a fine. so i'll tell you how you know if it's a fine versus a principal charge okay. in jewish law a fine has a standardized charge fixed number. a fixed number to it okay. whether it be double what they stole or whatever it is um if it's not fixed then it won't be a fine okay. so paying what the, they you may i don't know what the law ruling is you may or may have not have to Pay the additional amount. That's an interesting question, but it wouldn't be considered a fine in that okay. regard. Okay, Ex excellent question. There is a deeper meaning to confession. There's a fascinating book called Derech Mitzvosecha. It was authored by Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of Lubavitch, not the Lubavitcher Rebbe. His great great grandfather, who had the same name. And he wrote a book explaining the spiritual background behind mitzvahs. 
And he goes through each mitzvah similar to the Sefer HaChinuch, the Book of Education. But instead of explaining the mitzvahs from a psychological paradigm, he explains them from a from the paradigm of Hasidus, from a more spiritual um, soul paradigm. And he explains something fascinating. He has an essay about teshuva, an essay about confession. And here's what he says. Everything that exists is comprised of a body and a soul. Everything. I mean, human beings, that's the most obvious example. There's my physical representation, the space I take. And there's my soul. Soul can mean different things, but there's the spiritual part of me that doesn't take space. There's my emotion. There's my intellect. There's my perspective. There's my drive. There's my connection to God. There's a body and there's a soul. They go hand in hand. They work together. At least they should. <laughs> We're trying to get them to work together. Um, even, even the most uh, inanimate parts of life have some sort of life force that keep them in existence. Um, a handshake has a soul to it. You're not just slapping hands with somebody. There's a business deal. There's an element of trust. There's, there's something spiritual to it. And he explains that sins have a body and a soul. Because what happens when we sin? What happens is we feed into klipa. Right? Remember from our Tanya class, what is klipa? Klipa is some sort of shell, right? Literally means a shell, but it's basically this negative energy that makes us see life superficially. It covers up the truth. It makes us see the body, not the soul. When we look at people and the first thing, and they take up space, that's klipa. Because that's the body. The body takes up space. If those people don't take up space, we appreciate their good qualities. We're moving more into soul territory, less into klipa territory. And again, this is not black and white at all. Because there's varying <laughs> degrees. But sometimes it's easier just to use black and white terms. Um, one of the reasons for tzniyut, one of the reasons for modesty, is hide the body, hide the klipa, so we can remind ourselves that there is a greater depth within. And when we, and, and is everything again has this body and soul, and he says sin has body and soul as well. Klipa has a body and soul. The klipa itself has a body and a soul. When we sin, we generate klipa. We generate this shell. Or in English, we desensitize ourselves from spirituality. Right? That's what that shell is. We become less and less sensitive. The more we sin, the less we care. And the less we care, the more we sin. It's a wonderful cycle. And it, it's, it's true the other way around, too. I don't mean to be negative, right? The more mitzvahs we do the more we're going to care. The more we care, the more mitzvahs we're going to do. Right? The more we break through those klipas. And teshuvah is ultimately smashing through that klipa. That's what teshuvah is. Because as we sin, and by the way, whether it's intentional or unintentional, because we're not talking about accountability anymore. We're moving on to new territory here. We're talking about reality. In terms of accountability, okay, God won't hold you accountable by accident. Fine. But you still built the klipa. <laughs> Right? It's like bothering somebody without realizing it. Okay, they're not going to 
they're not going to like scold you for it, but you've still alienated yourself from them. You did something they don't like, right? It's just it's just the reality. Teshuvah is breaking through that klipa. And that klipa has a body and a soul. The soul of the klipa was created through the lust of sin, the desire of sin. That burning passion to do whatever we know we shouldn't have been doing, whatever that may have been. The body of the klipa, that's through the action that we did, the act. The act, together with the passion, creates a body and soul to make a physical representation of klipa in this world to further desensitize us. So if we want to do proper teshuva, we can't just get rid of the sin. We can't just regret the sin that would get rid of the desire, the soul of negativity. We have to physically enunciate and articulate our regret, get rid of its body. And that's what confession is. The point of confession, if we're just saying the words, we're only halfway there. <laughs> there has to be the kavana, there has to be the inner intent, there has to be the inner connection. The inner desire to actually uproot what we did. And when we emotionally regret what we did, we get rid of the soul of klipa, the soul of negativity, the soul of being desensitized, the energy behind it. But to get rid of its physical impression that we had on this world, in order to do that, we need to um, we need to physically enunciate the words. Body and soul together. This is an incredible, incredible paradigm shift. Because what we're saying is the ability to do teshuvah, the ability to return, the ability to confess and get back on good terms with God is not just about brownie points with God. It's not just about what's going to happen if I, you know, it's, it, we're so used to, and, and many of us are brought up with the, the fear What's going to happen if, what's my year going to be like if I better do teshuva, I better shape up? And I'm not here to dismiss that fear. That fear is not a bad thing, but we can do better. <laughs> Our There's a relationship over here. It's not just what's God going to do to me or what's going to happen to me? What type of year am I going to have if I don't? There's a relationship here. There's negativity that I potentially have brought to the world. And fine, it wasn't my fault. Okay. Um, I didn't know, or I'm not perfect. No, wait, no, no. But we have the incredible ability to clean it up. We have an incredible ability to smash that clip up, to destroy its soul by regretting what we've done, to destroy its body by articulating what we've done. Sins actually make a difference, and our teshuva actually makes a difference, can actually change the past. It's incredible. Incredible paradigm shift. It's not just about our own accountability, our own responsibility, our own, oh no, what's going to happen to me now? <laughs> I have a responsibility to the world. I have a responsibility to existence. Make this world a place for God. And inevitably along the way, failed. I shouldn't fail. I, I've slipped. We all have slipped. And through the confession, the body and soul of confession, we can fix it. 
whoever thought that vidui, the confessional prayer, can literally change the world? Literally change the world. It's just interesting to note, side point, Rosh Hashanah, which the theme of Rosh Hashanah essentially is teshuva, that's what the shofar is all about, waking up the inner soul, is the only Jewish holiday that is not celebrating an exclusively Jewish event. The Passover is exclusively Jewish. The Jewish people left Egypt Purim. The Jewish people were saved from the um, potential mass destruction. Hanukkah. Right? We were saved from the Greeks. Shavuos. The Jews were given the Torah. But Rosh Hashanah, God created the world. It's not an exclusively Jewish event because it represents our responsibility to make this larger world a more divine place. And our teshuva, our vidui, our ability to clean up the body and soul of our mistakes can actually make this world better and brighter. There's a strong correlation between prayer and the biblical sacrifices that take place in the Beis Mikdash. We know that prayer is a replacement for those sacrifices. As soon as the base of Mikdash was destroyed and we had no altar, we had no ability to come close in that fashion, the sages established a formal prayer where we can formally bring ourselves close to God. Right, The three Amidas, the Amida, every single morning, every single afternoon, represents the sacrifice taking place every single morning, every single afternoon. When would you bring a sacrifice in the base of Mikdash? When you sin. Right? You mess up, let me bring a sacrifice to God. Which would, one might think that the vidui, the confessional prayer, should take place before the Amidah. That should be the first part of prayer. Because the Amidah represents this coming close, this drawing towards God, standing in front of God. Well, shouldn't I get rid of my sins? Shouldn't I clear my sins first, then come close to God? Why am I doing the Amidah first? And then reciting the confessional prayer. It seems like a backwards order. What are your thoughts? Well, um, I, I, I could envision that uh, uh, you want to be as close to God as possible at the moment of your confession. And immediately following the Amidah, you, you're at the, the pinnacle of your connection with Hashem. And you're at your most exposed, vulnerable place to provide, you know, to, to give your confession to, to Hashem. Bingo, exactly. In other words, to put, the, put this in context, we start off with the Moda Ani, the very first prayer in the morning. Thank you, God, for, for giving my soul back, giving my life back. My life is dependent on you. And the whole of prayer from Moda Ani is unpacking that. Unpacking our ability to concede to God. We get to the Shema. We say God is one. We're absorbed in that. We become passionate about that. Hafta, now I love you, God. I want to experience that love. I want to experience the reverence. We then get to the Amida, where we're standing in front of God. And we feel it. We really feel that we're standing in front of God. We take three steps forward as if we're approaching God because we know and feel that God is right there. We're literally prostrating ourselves before God at the Amida. It's at that point, 
the Amida, that I have the sensitivity to know that I've actually sinned. There may be certain subtle things that I'm unaware of. Oh, that was actually a problem? <laughs> but after the Amida, once I've felt that connection, that deep soul connection after the Amida, not that's a sin. And I have the ability to come close. I have the ability to be vulnerable with God now that I've prayed the Amida. I can talk about those sins to God. I know he's going to forgive me. We just developed this connection. We just developed this relationship. It, it's not just, God, forgive me for my sins so I can connect to you. God, I am so connected to you that I know these sins aren't getting in the way and I know I don't want to go back to those. I'll conclude with a story. This is one of my favorite stories. It's, it's because we have this Hasidic approach to teshuva, and it's, a, it's an incredible shift. I am connected to God, therefore forgive me, overlook these sins because we're connected, rather than my connection being contingent on the action. It's for this reason that teshuva has to be done with simcha, with joy. Look in many, many, many hundreds of the Rebbe's talks throughout the month of Elul, and Rosh Hashanah, and the Rebbe is talking about Teshuvah, connect, come home with joy. So here's the story. The Baal Shem Tov was traveling abroad. Baal Shem Tov founded the Hasidic movement. He's traveling abroad. And he's looking, he's going to be away for high holiday season. He wants to go to the right shul. And he's not just going to daven anywhere. He needs to go to a very uplifting, inspiring place. So he starts interviewing the chazan, the leader, the cantor, the Baal Tefillah. And he goes to a particular shul and he starts asking him questions. What is unique about your davening? What's special about your davening? What is there anything? So here's what one guy says. When I get to the vidui, when I get to the confessional prayer, we usually recite it with a more somber tune. You know, Asham Devaga. It's a little bit more heartfelt and somber. He says, when we get there, I recite it with a very upbeat and exciting tune. A tune that is associated with joy. The Baal Shem Tov was shocked. I've never heard of such a thing. Why? He says, if you have the opportunity to clear out a palace for the king, the king's going to stay in your home and you could clean up. You're not going to be upset. I got to clean up and deal with dirt. I got to start mopping. I, no, the king is coming. I get to clean up. I'm a palace for God as we all are. The king wants to reside with me. He wants to stay within me. He wants to be a part of me. So yeah, I got to deal with dirt, but I'm doing it for the king. I'm allowing the king to dwell within me. The teshuva is an incredible simcha, an incredible joy, an incredible deep connection. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>